the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And he said, don't tell me that the Bible says that I ought not to do that. And I said, why? Why not? I said, have you ever thought about forgiveness? Oh, forgiveness? Now, this man claimed to be a believer. In fact, he told me how, how deep he was in the Lord, how spiritual he was. In the same context of wanting to sue a Christian organization. Listen, you need to just forgive. Why? Because you've been forgiven. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Put on a heart of compassion. Be forgiving as God has forgiven you in Christ's sake. There's no question about that. What should I do? The only question is, Lord, help me. How am I going to do this? I make a choice. I choose to love. The biggest attraction at the Smithsonian Institution is the Hope Diamond. Suppose you visited the Smithsonian and after a long wait in line, were finally able to see the great gem. But when you looked through the glass, instead of a sparkling bluish stone, you saw what looked like a dirt clod. Where's the diamond? you ask the docent. He assures you that that is the Hope Diamond. That looks like a lump of dirt, you say. Well, the docent replies, we dropped it in a mud puddle and, well, we never did get around to cleaning it up before putting it on display. Well, it sure doesn't look like a diamond to me, you mutter, as you dejectedly walk away. I admit that what I just told you is pretty unlikely, but it's all too common in a spiritual sense, and we will consider that today on Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is our instructor in these daily radio Bible classes. At Verse by Verse Ministries, we believe that the surest way to communicate the whole truth of the Bible is through expository preaching. Just now we are moving through the book of Philippians. When we who claim to be Christians fight among ourselves, we do much the same as a museum curator who would put a priceless gem on display covered with mud. If we go so far as to take each other to court, it's like inviting the world to see a jewel caked in grime. Christ followers should, by nature, be united through the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples that the world would recognize them by the love they have for each other. But that is often easier said than done, isn't it? The Apostle Paul offered to the Philippian church some great teaching on the subject of unity. Let's turn to chapter 2, if you have your Bible with you. Pastor Steve is ready to continue this discussion of unity in the church. You know, we have to be very honest at this point. Sometimes Christians are difficult to get along with. Really difficult. They are often dogmatic. I should say not they. We are often dogmatic on issues that we ought not to be dogmatic on. That becomes difficult to build relationships with people like that at times. We are very opinionated. We are sometimes overly pushy. We don't know when to take no for an answer. And our natural reaction is to shy away from people like that. At least that's that's my natural response. It's to just kind of back off and, and separate from him or else clash with him. There seems to be no middle ground 
But this truth gives us middle ground. You know why? Because I have to remember, you know what? I'm at the head of the class when it comes to being obnoxious, dogmatic, pushy, never taking no for an answer, argumentative at times, and yet God loves me with all my peculiarities. Why, why am I saying that? If there's any incentive that comes from knowing that God can love an obnoxious guy like me, then I ought to be able to love obnoxious people like, well, <laughs> you just put in the word, the name that you want. You see, that's what he means. If there's any consolation, any incentive, any appeal that comes from God's love, then you'd be loving. And that answers the problem. What do I do about those who offend me? You forgive them. You forgive them. Someone spoke to me one day and said, I'm going to sue this other Christian and they've done this to me. And it was an organization. Actually, I'm going to sue this, this organization. I'm going to do this, that. And he said, don't tell me that I ought not to do that. And I said, what? no, he said, don't tell me that the Bible says that I ought not to do that. And I said, why? Why not? I said, have you ever thought about forgiveness? Oh, forgiveness? It's like I was, te- I was telling him, that, now this man claimed to be a believer. In fact, he told me how, how deep he was in the Lord, how spiritual he was. In the same context of wanting to sue a Christian organization. Listen, you need to just forgive. Why? Because you've been forgiven. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Put on a heart of compassion. Be forgiving as God has forgiven you in Christ's sake. There's no question about that. What should I do? The only question is, Lord, help me. How am I going to do this? I make a choice. I choose to love. He goes on. So the first incentive, the first uh, motivation is that we're united with Christ. Secondly, that we are loved by God even though we are people who are not lovable. The third motivation, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, any fellowship of the Spirit, and what does he mean by this? I think he's talking about fellowship that comes from God's Spirit because he's speaking in the other verses about something that flows out of it. I don't think he's necessarily talking just about that we have fellowship with the Spirit, although that's true, but I tend to think that he's talking about fellowship that comes from God's Spirit. And what does he mean by this? The moment you received Christ, you were placed into the body of Christ. You became one with him, and it's by the Spirit of God. By the way, that is the only baptism of the Spirit. Let's look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You hear a lot about this reference to the baptism of the Spirit. But the only time the Bible refers to it, refers to it as something that has happened to every single believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. We're one. But how did that happen? For by one Spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. We fellowship with one spirit, but we also fellowship with one another because the spirit of God has given us that fellowship. It is supernatural to have fellowship with other believers. In my limited travels around, one of the great joys is to meet meet people who I have never met before, and yet there is a partnership, there is a joy there, there is a oneness. Why? The Spirit of God has made us one. And you sense that. There's a witness of the Spirit. And we all have, if you know Christ, you have the Spirit of God who lives in you. You don't have to pray for God's Spirit to come into you. You just have to turn your life over to Him to control you. 
but the Spirit of God lives in each of us. That is to say, if you have fellowship with the Spirit, you can have fellowship with one another. And what he's saying is, since you do have the Holy Spirit in you, since you have been made to in, to be one who indwells, or the Spirit of God indwells us, and there is that wonderful fellowship that we have with one another as far as God is concerned, then live like that. In fact, a better word than fellowship I like is partnership. We have a partnership. We're one. What hurts you ought to hurt me. What rejoices you ought to rejoice me. And that's the way it's supposed to be. So that's what Paul is saying. If there is any partnership that, that comes from the Spirit, and it does, then live like that because you're one with each other. There's a fourth motivation that he gives. The end of verse 1. If any affection and compassion... One of the things that the Spirit of God produces in us is love, affection, compassion, tender mercies for other members of God's family. There ought to be a concern that you have for one another. There ought to be a concern. When you hear somebody is hurting, you want to help them because that's what God has done in our life. Is there any affection and compassion in your heart? Yes, live like that. If you don't have any affection and compassion ever, then you probably don't know Christ because he changes your life. Now let's put together Paul's appeal to unity. He's saying this, since you are united to Christ with every other believer, since God's love reached out to you, since God's Spirit produces a unique partnership with each of us, and since His Holy Spirit produces affection and compassion in our hearts, then this ought to lead to a church characterized by unity and harmony. It ought to. Now let me explain an important principle here as we apply this. Church divisions can only be stopped by sound theology. Sound theology. You don't want some pastor coming in who who uh, takes the whip and beats you into submission. That's not the way to do it. There's no threats. You might have uniformity, but not unity. Unity comes from the heart. You might have a church in which everybody is afraid to disagree. That's not what he's talking about here. It comes from the heart. It's an internal manner, and it comes from your understanding of theology. If there's to be harmony in the future and unity in the future in our church, it has to come from understanding these truths. Why would I violate what God has done? That's the point. I think there's another principle here. Another principle is that our motives for unity stem from doing what pleases the heart of God. Christ has done this. He has made us one. The Spirit has been involved in making us one. How dare I act in a way that's contrary to what they have done because that would break their hearts. It's gratitude for what he's done. The heart of Jesus Christ is pleased and that is the great motive for me and for you. I think this is what Paul had in mind when he said at the beginning of verse 2, and this is, this is somewhat of a motivation, though it's a little bit different. Make my joy complete. Make my joy complete. We not only want the Lord and the Spirit to rejoice over our unity, but Paul is saying, in addition to them, in addition to these motives, think about me. And he's not saying it in a self-centered way. He's saying it in a way that he's concerned about them. Let's stop here for a moment and ask this question. Is that valid? Is it valid to say we're going to be in harmony to rejoice uh, so our elders and our pastors can, re- can rejoice? Is that valid? Sure it is. Sure it is. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 13. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 13. I want you to see this. Yeah, you ought to be concerned about the leadership of this church rejoicing in your spiritual growth. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. The writer says, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. 
for this would be unprofitable for you. That's a tremendous verse. I ought to frame that in my office. What he's saying is, you know, when they stand before the Lord, let it be a joyful thing, that it's not a burdensome thing that they have had to shepherd you. Yeah, there is a validity to the motivation that says, you know, I want our elders and I want our pastor teacher to be uh, to be joyful about us. I want to be in harmony and unity with all other believers because that will make them happy. And I want to do that. So if you want to know how to rejoice my heart, do that. Paul had joy, but what he's saying in verse 2 is make my joy complete. Make it full. You give me great joy, but if you want to know how to really fill it up. Having served as an elder myself, I can attest to the burden that elders feel for those they serve and the intensity of that burden when even one person falls into sin or when two or more people cannot get along. Thankfully, in my case, those were rare events, and it was a joy to be an elder in such a harmonious church. Let's take a short break to greet the newcomers, and then we'll get right back to the lesson. If you just tuned in, we're glad you did. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. How do you gauge the health quotient of a local congregation? Are there encouraging signs that will indicate that your church is a unified church? And if so, what are they? Let's return to Philippians chapter 2 to see what the Apostle Paul has to tell us about the marks of unity. Be in harmony. Now, what he does in verse 2 is he gives us, he goes from the motives for unity to the marks of unity. What are the marks of a unified church? How do we know if we're clicking together in harmony? Let's explain. Verse 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. They all sort of flow together, but let's start with being of the same mind. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we're to agree on everything. We won't agree on everything. We won't agree on on everything. It doesn't even mean that in spiritual matters we're going to see things exactly the same way. There are liberty issues. There is a variety of interpretations. Paul is not saying that we're all going to quack the same way. He's not saying that we're all going to shake our heads and and that's that's it, no. But it does mean that uh, together our minds are submitted to the Word of God. We have a similar mindset. I guess a, a better word here would be would be attitude. The same disposition doesn't mean that we really necessarily agree on every point of doctrine because there are churches that agree on everything in doctrine and they're not unified. But what he is talking about here is an attitude that our spiritual thoughts and spiritual submission is to the word of God. So even if we disagree on a liberty issue, we don't force the issue. Even if we take a different perspective theologically on something, we don't become cantankerous about it. We don't become argumentative. That's why the pulpit... It's so important because by expounding scripture, we, we just sort of know the direction. We, we get an understanding of what God wants for us. It creates in our minds a like-mindedness. That's why the pulpit is so important. It isn't just revealing the word of God to you. It's revealing God's mind to you. And we all kind of gather around. We say, oh, this is what the mind of the Lord is saying. And therefore, we just rally around. See, it's an attitude he's talking about. That's why the church was so unified. That's why the church at Jerusalem had such unity. Every day in Acts chapter 2, it says they were together, they were of one mind because they were having the word of God taught to them by the apostles. If there's no submission to the authority of Scripture, then you know what becomes the final authority? Me. You. Then your opinion and my opinion take the place 
of God's word. And that creates discord and that creates disharmony. When you put your two cents in and I put my two cents in, I like what someone has said. They said, when God speaks, the issue is settled. The issue is settled. Let's look at Colossians. Turn over just one one book after Philippians. And I think that Paul hits it on the, the head here. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also should you. And then beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let's stop there for a moment, though. I want to take it to verse 16. You see what he's saying? All these things relate to unity, compassion, forgiveness, oneness. But how do you do this? Key is verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Let it dwell richly within you. Conflicts come when we don't let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Conflicts come when someone wants to assert their own opinions. Conflicts come when there's no submission to the authority of Scripture, when I don't get the mind of the Spirit, when I'm too quick to speak, when I'm too quick to give my opinion, when I haven't waited before the Lord, when I haven't been in touch with His Word. That's what happens. When I say, but I think this, but I think that. That's why, let me give you a hint of what we'll be doing in weeks to come. Verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Now, I have a few more pages of notes, but uh, we'll pick that up and we'll continue this because we want to settle in here for a while and we want to understand what builds unity. But today as we close, I want, I want to just ask you, are you committed to that? Do you understand the potential danger of it? Do you understand that the thing that Satan would most like to do is to get you to to be highly offended at something that someone has said or done to you, is to get you to be one who is bragging and one who has to have prominence and one who is jealous and one who is envious and one who is asserting assertive of his or her own rights? Do you understand that the issue is not Ham? Do you understand that the issue is Satan? And if we're going to counteract that, we need to understand the divine motivation We need to understand the theology, the doctrine. If there's any encouragement that comes from being in Christ, then don't be argumentative with the brethren. If there's any consolation, any incentive that comes from God's love, then don't be pushing around your own things and don't want want others to serve you, then you serve them. Lay down your life for the brethren, sacrifice for them, because that's what God has done for you. And he still does that, I might add. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if, if there is a partnership that you have with all believers, then put aside your differences and your backgrounds and live as if you're partners. Partners are to get along. If there's any affection and compassion, you have any tenderness towards somebody and it's been put in your heart, then live that out and, and don't keep it there, but live it out. Make my heart complete, make joy complete, make Paul's, make the Spirit of God, make Christ, make the elders, the deacons, leadership in our church by being of the same minds. That's how you do it. There's a submission to the authority of Scripture. So important. So important that we think alike without giving up our individualism, that we think alike in terms of, of the Bible's authority. And even where we don't agree, we understand the Bible tells us, don't be argumentative. Because the areas that you and I would, and others in the church would disagree on are not points of contention. Not points of contention. The one-mindedness 
Are you letting this, the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Let's, let's bow for prayer as I ask that question. Are you letting God's words dwell in you richly, or do you just pick up the Bible and have a few notes? A few, few minutes, a few minutes a day. It's better than nothing, but that's not the ideal. Do you meditate on Scripture? Are you seeking the minds of the Lord? That's what the Bible is. It reveals His mind. And if there's to be a one-mindedness in a church, then it takes an understanding of the Word of God and a submission to that Word. It takes that, that disposition, that attitude, that mindset that, God, this is Your Word and I will submit. It's what builds harmony in a church. The proper motives and the marks that come from a submission to Scripture. Where are you in your understanding of this? Are you fighting the brethren? You always have something that's negative to say. Live in harmony. Lay down your life for the brethren. Not just people you know, but people in this church that you don't know, that you need to be gracious to, reach out to, invite them over to your home. Take an interest in them. Really be interested in them after the service. Don't let them rush out. You grab their hand and ask if what you can do for them, and not just this week. But may the Spirit of God drive this into our hearts to make us more unified than ever before. And I might add that if you don't know Christ, He wants to be one with you. And you can be part of God's family. You need to repent, turn from your sin that you're aware of, and trust Jesus Christ as the one who died for you. As Tom sang earlier, He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He died for your sin. And... You don't need to go on in your sin. You come to him. You trust that he paid for all of your sins and you receive him as the one who can forgive you and give you eternal life. Father, I ask for those who are without Christ that your word would draw them to Christ. For those of us who are in Christ, Lord, help us to live that way. Father, may, may these words, may this message not fall on deaf ears. I say as Jesus said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And Father, I pray as time marches on, as Satan will try to infiltrate and Satan will try to disrupt our unity over nothing issues. Father, may we remember the motivations that come from the truth of Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. And Lord, as we begin to search out what the marks of a church are, we pray that you'll help us to be of one mind, one, that one attitude that we agree that when the scripture speaks, the argument is over. Father, may that be the ruling thought of every one of us here. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Screw Tape Letters, C.S. Lewis published a hypothetical series of letters from a demon named Screwtape to his nephew Wormwood, who is learning to be a tempter. Screwtape tells his nephew that he is glad that humans do not realize the enemy's vision for the unity of all his children. Of course, by the enemy, Screwtape means God. To be honest, when we think about the unity that Jesus and the Father have, and that Jesus prayed for us to have that same unity, well, that probably is more than we can fully appreciate. We will have more about unity on the next Verse by Verse. It was a pleasure to have you in our class today. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is guiding us in this series of lessons from Chapter 2 of the Book of Philippians. Since 1981, Pastor Steve has been teaching and ministering at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. 
These radio versions of his expository messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. You can find us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. You will find the audio of today's class right there on the first page you see. Click on the archives link and you will be able to download or listen online to many of Pastor Steve's previous lessons. There is also a link for you if you would like to sign up for our free podcasting service. Browse around and explore the other features while you're there. That's versebyverseradio.org. Our class today was the conclusion of a three-part message. It is the introductory message in a series about church unity from the second chapter of Philippians. It is often helpful to hear a message in its entirety. You can order an audio CD. Just call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during weekday office hours. The number again is 727-441-1714. There is a country-western song by Travis Tritt called Looking Out for Number One. The chorus says, Lord, everyone around me, I've tried so hard to please, till the only one unhappy feeling broken down is me. But things are going to change with each new setting sun. Starting now, I'm looking out for number one. Now that's pretty sad. Travis has it backwards, inside out and upside down. Please join us for the next verse by verse and more about unity. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.